0: From WE First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with WE. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today, I'm joined by Gene Axius, Senior Vice President of Global Thought Leadership at AARP, the well-known national nonprofit that advocates for Americans over 50, which Sadly, tragically, I have to admit, is now me, although I shouldn't say tragically. It's hard to believe, I know, but uh, Gene,
1: welcome to Lead With We. Well, Simon, it's so good to be with you, and I think that it's amazing that uh, you have joined uh, the ranks of those over the age of 50. I think that there is age with wisdom, uh, and that there's significant value as one gets older, so congratulations, my friend.
0: Thank you, thank you. It was that moment I recall not so long ago, Gene, when I, I got that card in the mail, and I was like... Wow. Okay, I'm part of the tribe now, and um, you know a lot of us know ARP. It's nationally known, and so on. But just help us understand what the organization does as a nonprofit and who it serves.
1: ARP's mission is to empower people to choose how they live in age. Uh, and I can actually share with you. It's really from our founder, uh, Dr. Ethel Percy Andrews, who uh, look went looking for a retired uh, friend who was a retired teacher and found her living in a chicken coop. That was over 60 years ago, a shack without walls, right? Uh, Lack of healthcare, lack of uh, economic security, and outraged by that, our founder uh, felt that people, particularly as they age, should live a life of dignity and independence and purpose, and actually formed AARP. So for more than 60 years, we've been on a mission to really ensure that people can choose how they wanna live in as they age, that they have access uh, to the tools, the resources, uh, and services that they need in order to live a dignified, quality life.
0: And help me understand, you know, the distinctions that you'd like to draw, because, you know, in some ways, there's stigma associated with age. But I feel like I'm just getting started, you know, and I'm 54 years old. So can you debunk some of those misunderstandings about what it means to be in your 50s, 60s, 70s?
1: Well, what we know is the fact that we have a lot of opportunities uh, before us. If you think about it, as someone who is born today has a fifty percent chance of living beyond the age of one hundred and four. Uh, a fifty percent so, chance. Uh, that's exactly right. Especially Wait, in the country. I am. I'm not. I'm just well.
0: barely. I'm barely halfway. This is good news. So I got to apologize to my wife,
1: but it's like it's great news. <laughs> it 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 is it, indeed great news and. Uh, we have an opportunity to really redefine what it means to get uh, to get older uh, uh, in this country. And frankly, around the world, we know that in the United States, 10,000 people are turning uh, 65 each and every day. Uh, in China, wow. that's around 54,000 people are turning 60 each and every day. Uh, and somewhere around the world, 200,000 people are turning 60 and older each and every day. So across the world, we're seeing the fact that people are aging and living longer in many cases. Uh, And with that, uh, really, is an opportunity to redefine, to your point, Simon, uh, what does that actually mean? Uh, It means that we're seeing people uh, either going back to college, going back to school. We are seeing people actually change careers and uh, do more volunteer work. Uh, We're seeing a whole new definition of what aging looks like, and frankly, it looks great.
0: And, you know, one of the interesting things about, you know, the aging population is that Compared to today, a lot of traditional cultures really revered their elders, shall we say. You know, that those who've run the miles, that have lived the life, that have learned the lessons are put on a pedestal. Yet, and I don't mean to oversimplify or generalize, but sometimes in certain countries around the world, you feel like there's that stigma. So what is the truth? What does the data, what what do the statistics bear out?
1: Well, the World Health Organization actually released a report earlier this year and found that, you know, that roughly about 50% of the population uh, hold some form of ageist uh, views. So we do know that we have to address the issues of ageism. And in fact, at AARP, we did a report that found that, you know, ageism and all forms of isms uh, actually impact all of us. And what we mean by that is the fact that the cost of age discrimination in the United States uh, cost us $850 billion in 2018.
0: How? How so? How does it cost us money?
1: Well, if you think about it, it's the fact that uh, people are being involuntarily let go or uh, forced out of the labor market. is that lost productivity, Right. The, uh, the lost ability to be able to leverage uh, people's productivity in a very meaningful way. Uh, and that is critically important in terms of trying to address this. We've done some survey work that were more than um, two-thirds of those who were uh, surveyed in this report indicated that they have either experience or know of a situation where someone has been discriminated against in terms of the workplace. Well, I, I uh, know that I more. like
0: myself less now that I'm older, you know, so what can I, I, I feel it myself.
1: Well, you know, I think you have to like yourself even more, Simon, as you get older.
0: Right, right, right. No, I'm only kidding.
1: I, I, I just turned, uh, my birthday was yesterday, and a friend of mine sent me in, an email, uh, a, 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 um, a text message that said something along the lines, you're getting so much older now. right? Uh, and, I, and I say, you know, I embrace that. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do is embrace uh, the opportunity uh, and the gift that comes with longer life uh, and the opportunity to think about how am I going to contribute in a meaningful way, whether that's to my family, whether that's to my community, whether that is to our society more broadly. Uh, and as I indicated before, that there is this uh, stifling that occurs when people are not able to actually live their fullest life.
0: No, I, I, I totally agree. And you actually, you know, you spent a large part of your career at ARP, and you actually studied it, you know, way back when in university. What was it about sort of ageism or aging population that fascinated you?
1: Well, I'll tell you this, uh, Simon, is that I was actually raised by my grandmother. Uh, for the Ah. first four years of my life Uh, and that has really had a significant impact on me uh, and my worldview and my sense of purpose and I know that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is that sense of purpose Uh, and that has always been near and dear to my heart in fact my first job was working in a retirement community uh, when Marriott International used to own senior living services and believe it or not this was when I was in high school By the time I was actually 17, I was managing a full dining room at a retirement community in Deerfield Beach with a staff of over 30 people. Many of them could actually be my parents, in some cases, my grandparents.
0: That's amazing. Uh, That's amazing, Gene. And I mean, that's a credit to you. What lesson did you take away? Or what did you learn from working with people who are so much more senior than you?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a tremendous amount of lessons. Uh, One uh, is just the opportunity to be able to listen, to understand, to engage, uh, to learn from uh, those who have come before you. Uh, So I I say this uh, in many ways that I was probably a little bit selfish because I wanted to learn from many of these residents what were some of their biggest accomplishments, what were some of their biggest regrets, what do they know now that they wish they knew when they were actually navigating life uh, and believe it or not, Simon, I would actually sit during the breaks in between breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner, the different shifts in the dining room, and I would sit in the courtyard, listen to these stories, because this was actually, in my case, living history. Uh, and I benefited tremendously from that. I think
0: that's amazing. I had a you know a grandmother who you know, was Hungarian and went through both World Wars and the Hungarian Revolution. And I used to visit her almost religiously every weekend when I was uh, from the ages of like 15 through to 21 just to hear those stories and the life lessons and the window into someone else's sort of you know life experience so I I completely understand so help us understand in more in broader terms what is the mission or purpose of AARP and then describe the breadth of services you offer because when you look at it on the website you really do take a holistic view to people's lives
1: Absolutely. Uh, We are a consumer-centric organization, meaning the fact that we put the consumer and their families at the center of everything that we do. Our goal is not to tell people how to age. Our goal is to listen to them and to be a wise friend and then also a fierce defender, meaning the fact that we want to be able to provide the tools, the services, the information that people need in order to make informed decisions uh, in terms of what's in their best interest and to provide that information in the mode and the content and the format that works best for them. Uh, So as an organization, we are uh, clearly focused on information, advocacy, and service. We do a range of uh, activities to ensure that uh, our members and those over the age of 50, that that their interests are well represented both at the federal and state levels in terms of state legislatures and Congress. Uh, We provide a tremendous amount of information uh, in, in the context of health, in the context of wealth, in the context of social connection. As our CEO, Joanne Jenkins often says, it's all about health, wealth, and self. And how do we really ensure that as an organization that we're providing the relevant information and tools that that people need in order to be empowered to live their best lives.
0: One of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, Gene, is that like, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's been such um, renewed focus, long overdue focus on diversity and inclusion and social justice. But a big component of diversity and inclusion that probably doesn't get quite as much attention is ageism. So, you know, what role does ARP play in that? And how are you working to make sure that, you know, those who are more senior are actually included in that new framework moving forward?
1: Well, you know, one of the things we've talked about today, Simon, is the fact that people are in many cases are living longer and either need to or want to continue working. Uh, And with that comes an opportunity to think about what is the future of work, which has only been accelerated by this pandemic. We know that many companies are managing five generations at any given point in time. So the fact that they are managing a multi-generational workforce.
0: That's crazy right. when you think about that. I can barely manage one generation in my daughters and myself. That's two, five <laughs> generations, right?
1: Uh, and so when you think about uh, the opportunity for employers to leverage the benefits that comes with a multi-generational workforce, it's huge. Uh, and one of the things that ARP has done is a major initiative called Living, Learning and Earning Longer uh, with the World Economic Forum and OECD is to really think about what are the opportunities to create? What are the opportunities to invest? And what are the opportunities to ensure that both the workforce and employers prosper within the context of these changing demographics? We did a global survey last year of nearly 6,000 C-suite executives from the OECD countries. And we found that 83% of those surveyed indicated that a multi-generational workforce is something that they valued. However, what we also learned from that survey was that age was not included in 52% of those companies in terms of their diversity and equity and inclusion policies.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: So so this is an area where we're really working to close that gap. Uh, We know that when you have age diversity in the workforce, innovation is much higher, uh, productivity is much higher. Uh, Companies that leverage a multi-generational workforce tend to see significant and greater revenue. Uh, that there's tremendous information sharing across the different generations because you have the mentorship, which actually goes both ways. I call it mentoring and reverse mentoring. Uh, and it's, it's really a tremendous opportunity to uh, leverage the diversity that's in the mix. Uh, so this is an area where we think that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to elevate the issue of age diversity in the workplace because we know, as I indicated before, that when people are at the margins and they're not included, we all lose out.
0: Yeah. And those bottom line benefits you just listed there are so critical. And when business owners, leaders, founders hear that, that's a wake up call. That's something they can't ignore, which is that, wow, it's costing them in terms of productivity and results by being, you know, on the wrong side of this sort of embrace of um, people in their 50s, 60s and 70s. So, I know you have a program called Growing With Age. Like, tell us about some of the policies that businesses can use to be more age-inclusive.
1: Well, that is a, a and we welcome uh, your listeners to actually visit the Growing With Age platform, which was recognized by Fast Company as a world-changing idea for 2021. And oh, it's very actually, cool. Congrats. Congrats. Th- thank you very much. We're, as an organization, extremely excited about this. Uh, and this is linked to our Living, Learning, and Earning Longer initiative. Uh, When you go to the Growing With Age platform, what you'll find is a great uh, series of tools and resources to help employers leverage their workforce in a way that's going to uh, create an environment that fosters age diversity, uh, in a way that's going to ensure that you are investing in the benefits and the services to not just think about the skills of today, but think about the skills of the future. And then also in a way that ensures that uh, both the workers and employers are benefiting as a result. So, one of the things we typically talk about is to think about this from a life stage perspective, Simon, meaning the fact that uh, when you're thinking about the different opportunities to leverage your workforce, uh, think about what are the opportunities that benefit uh, your workforce across different life stages, segments. And what I mean by that is, for example, we know that there are 48 million family caregivers in the country, some of them might be some of your listeners. Uh, These are individuals who are caring for uh, an adult, whether that is a partner, spouse, or an aging parent. 60% of them are actually working. So just think about trying to provide this caregiving um, responsibility on top of your uh, work responsibilities. And it's a juggling act. Uh, Many of these caregivers, they do things like injections, tube feeding, wound care. Uh, Oftentimes, they may have to come into work late, leave early, uh, sometimes they actually decline a promotion, and depending on the condition of the person that they're caring for, they may leave the workforce altogether, uh, which is a huge loss uh, to the to them in terms of their own financial security. It's a loss to the company because of the productivity and the institutional knowledge, and it's a loss to our broader economic uh, well-being as a country. Uh, and one of the things that we've said is that, you know, think about caregiving leave. Uh, And caregiving leave is something that you can provide to those caregivers that provide them with the support that they need. It might be respite care, it might be greater flexibility, it might be time away from the office, paid time away from the office to provide that type of care on top of what other benefits that you might be providing your workforce. Well, if you only look at it from the standpoint of age, you might just think of giving it to someone over the age of 50. Well, the challenge with that is the fact that you miss a a, a certain segment of your population. If I told you that nearly 24 or uh, nearly a quarter of family caregivers are, are millennials, you might, that might surprise you.
0: That's amazing. I mean, that's, it's wonderful to hear that they're so heart-led. I had no idea.
1: Right. So, so uh, when you say where are some of the policies or some of the uh, opportunities uh, that employers can uh, implement, Uh, to really foster greater age diversity, this is one of the examples that I use, is to really think about this from a life stage perspective, Uh, because providing caregiving leave not only benefits your workers who are older, but it also benefits those younger caregivers. Um, Another example I think is critically important is lifelong learning and investing in the skills of your staff. Uh, And if you think about it, Simon, we were just talking about this, uh, is the fact that, you know, the model that one goes to school, uh, one graduates and one works in a company for thirty plus years uh, has changed uh, because people are living nonlinear lives, especially given the fact that people are living much longer. So, what I mean by that is the fact that what are the opportunities of uh, uh, to really invest in your workforce and create a culture of lifelong learning? Uh, we know that COVID nineteen has drastically changed the game, uh, and that we're seeing uh, new skills be uh, needed. Uh, And uh, I think it's going to be important for employers to think about how are they not just thinking about the skills uh, that they need today, but investing in their workforce for the skills that they will need for tomorrow in order to remain competitive.
0: So give us a few pointers on that, because COVID is just, you you know, there's no silver linings, really. But if there was to be some, you know, some industries have benefited from the innovation or the flight to digital that they've had to do and so on. You're talking about lifelong learning inside an organization's culture. What else? What other signposts or guide would you give to business leaders who want to be more responsible moving forward in terms of age inclusion that have come out of COVID?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of uh, key other aspects of this is to really do that assessment, uh, and we're seeing this across many companies exactly looking at the workforce and its composition and ensuring that we're addressing the issues of equity. Uh, And what I mean by that is the fact that we do have diversity in age at all levels of the organization. Uh, I will tell you that it's also in the benefit of companies. If I were to tell you, people over the age of 50 uh, spend, uh, particularly in 2018, $8.3 trillion in economic activity. So for every dollar spent in the U.S. in 2018, 56 cents of every dollar was spent by someone over the age of 50. And that is actually going to grow Significantly, to about 62 cents of every dollar spent in the United States.
0: So you can't ignore those demographics. You're shooting yourself in the foot.
1: That, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. So the question is that companies need to think about is, what is your age strat- uh, diversity strategy? Uh, how are you leveraging uh, not just the workforce, uh, but also thinking about targeting the marketplace? And how are you ensuring that the workforce reflects the changing demographics that's in the marketplace? I
0: know that you're a member of the G100 Transformational Leadership Network. And if you're an executive, a CEO, a founder, even a, you know, the leader of a high growth startup, what are some of the things that you've learned you know, through the peer-to-peer mentorship that you've had? with the G100 that you might pass on to other leaders, you know, in in their various capacities?
1: I, I think that's a great question. I think that as leaders, uh, we particularly, in light of COVID-19 and the pandemic, we're in a new normal. Uh, so, you know, I am deeply honored to be part of the uh, Transformational Leadership Network. Uh, and clearly, as you can imagine, COVID-19, the recovery and the reset has been dominant in terms of the conversations that we need to have, especially around the issues of equity? And how do we uh, reimagine a society that's more equitable? uh, And how are we as leaders, whether you're in the public sector or in private industry, really thinking about creating services and systems and programs with those who have historically been in the margins but need to be at the center? And if you can create uh, services programs and co-create services and programs, particularly for those who have historically been in the margins, who clearly need to be in the center, I think we'll all be better off.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Just by virtue of being inclusive outright and, you know, in the spirit of shifting mindsets or evolving mindsets, you know, often we put the private sector on a pedestal now, you know, the the private sector for-profit companies are the drivers of change. They've become more purposeful, but as a nonprofit leader, what do you think we can learn from nonprofit leadership? Because I think they're getting the short end of the stick, some way, because they've been doing this work for so long. What, what do you think we can learn from nonprofit leaders?
1: I, I think a, a couple of things, and I love that question, Simon. Uh, clearly, I think it's innovation. Uh, I think that the nonprofit sector uh, has and continues to be quite innovative, uh, given the resources that it's actually had. And demand has only increased. I think the other aspect of that, too, is the whole idea of collaboration, uh, meaning the fact that clearly a lot of the challenges we face as a society can't necessarily be solved with one sector or one industry. It really requires uh, a multi-sectorial approach to really addressing some of these complexities. Uh, and I think that when we think about social innovation and social impact, that there's a lot that uh, the nonprofit sector brings to the table. Uh, in terms of having to um, drive systemic change. And oftentimes, I hear some of my colleagues, particularly who has led nonprofit organizations, say quite often that uh, when you think about uh, experimenting uh, in in interventions and and, and programs, sometimes those actually start in the nonprofit sector space that eventually goes to scale, uh, whether it's because of foundational support or because the public sector has stepped in, Uh, to provide uh, that scalability. Uh, So I do think that uh, where we are uh, in terms of the opportunity to elevate some of the challenges and to think very innovative about how to solve them, that you do have a sector uh, that has been on the front lines working in those respective communities to really think about what are those opportunities to co-create solutions that are potentially scalable. And I think that's one of the key things that the nonprofit sector can bring to the table.
0: And last question, you know, Gene, are we getting there? You know, through all of this effort and collaboration and awareness and of the economic value and beyond, you know, are attitudes shifting? Do you you see that happening?
1: I I think that COVID-19 has been a wake up call for all of us. Uh, And what I mean by that is that COVID-19 has really brought into light some of the structural challenges that has always been there, but really amplified them in a way that it makes it very hard to keep your head in the sand. And I think that we are uh, at a point where we have a couple of opportunities ahead of us. Uh, On one hand, we can make incremental changes that don't necessarily address some of the issues we talked about today. So I call those more patchwork solutions. Or we can be bold and courageous and really be purposeful and doing the hard work, rolling up our sleeves, thinking about untraditional partners to really solve for the new normal that we all seek. I tend to say this a lot, that I know that so many people want to get back to normal. I don't think we can afford to get back to normal, uh, in part because of the fact that what the pandemic demonstrated to us was that there are too many people at the margins and that our systems and our, uh, are, were more fragile than we would like them to be. So we have an opportunity to really think about and to really work toward a more inclusive uh, society where people are valued uh, and that their contribu- contributions actually matter. So the, to answer your question, uh, Simon, I do think that particularly what we're seeing in private industry coupled with what we're seeing in the public sector uh, is giving us some momentum to really get to a much better place and hopefully a much stronger place. But it will require all of us taking on the responsibility of ensuring that we can do this work collectively together, meaning as individuals, meaning as leaders in private industry, and also as leaders in public sector. That is really gonna require all of us to be very intentional in focus uh, about addressing the systemic challenges that we've experienced over the last 15-16 months in a way that creates a much stronger foundation for all so that if and when that next crisis comes about we don't find ourselves having the same conversations again
0: could not agree more if only because it's such a powerful expression of leading with we we've all got to work together to create results that will benefit everyone. And Gene, thank you for your insights today. And thank you for the work of AARP, which is not only bringing quality of life to people in their 50s, 60s and 70s and beyond, but also economic value to business and their communities. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Simon. And I can't wait until it's your 55th birthday so I can send you something.
0: Thank you, thank you. A new laminated (laughs) card, maybe with a necklace, I can put it around so I won't lose it. No, I get it, I get it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Gene.
1: Thanks a lot, Simon.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at WeFirstTV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead With We, is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. So check it out. See you on the next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.